You're listening to Voice Acting Mastery, episode number 147. Welcome to the Voice Acting Mastery podcast with Crispin Freeman. VoiceActingMastery.com is your place to learn both the skills and the mindset you need to become a professional voice actor, even if you're just getting started. In each episode of this podcast, you'll discover valuable tips, tricks, and insider information to help you portray characters in animation, video games, and beyond. And now here's your host, voice actor Crispin Freeman. Hi there. My name is Crispin Freeman, and I'll be your guide through the world of voice acting. If you'd like to know more about me, feel free to check out my personal website at www.crispinfreeman.com. Welcome to the second part of my interview with the mind-bogglingly talented D. Bradley Baker. Dee has worked on hundreds of animated movies and shows, including Cow and Chicken, Dexter's Lab, The Box Trolls, American Dad, Avatar The Last Airbender, and Star Wars The Clone Wars, just to name a few. Dee has a special affinity for creature voices. He's often called in to voice characters that don't speak a human language, but communicate through nonverbal sounds. In part one of our interview, we discussed how Dee got started as a performer. His route was a serendipitous one. He did not follow any established plan or recipe for becoming an actor. He didn't even take many acting classes. Instead, Dee let his guiding principle be to follow what fascinated him. He was open to taking any job possibility that came his way, as long as it seemed interesting. If it also had a performance aspect, so much the better. However, regardless of what he pursued, he always did it with gusto and discipline. He wasn't just aimlessly wandering through life— he was actively testing things to see what truly appealed to him and what didn't. He would always do his best to learn as much as he could from every opportunity, and then move on once he felt he had learned as much as possible. It took a while for him to realize that the majority of work he was getting was as a performer, and that he could make acting his primary vocation. After he moved to Los Angeles and decided to focus primarily on voice acting, he discovered that he was also fascinated by creature sounds. He had always loved dinosaurs and movie monsters, so he had a natural affinity for voicing creatures of all shapes and sizes. If you haven't listened to episode one of this interview where I played some audio of his creature acting, I highly suggest you check it out. Alternatively, you can head over to Dee's website at dbaker.com and listen to samples of his genius there. In the second part of our discussion, Dee and I talk about what inspired him to be a performer in the first place. Dee has always been a quiet intellectual, which may not initially seem like a personality type that would be conducive to becoming an actor. However, performing allowed Dee to learn how to interact with people and adapt to society and the world at large. It was a way for him to develop as a human being. It helped him improve both his inner emotional life and his external relationships. I completely identify with Dee on this point. I, too, was a shy, quiet, introverted boy when I was young, and I learned a lot about myself and others by studying acting. Also in this segment, Dee and I delve deep into his love of movie monsters and how his passion for dinosaurs, Japanese kaiju like Godzilla, and even dressing up like a Jawa from Star Wars helped inspire him to work in some way with these creatures. Initially, he thought he might become a special effects makeup artist, but it was only later that he realized that his best contribution would be to give voices to the characters he loved so much. It's incredibly apropos that the first movie he saw as a child 
was Dr. Doolittle, a movie about a man who can talk to animals by mimicking their sounds. D has been making good on his own fascination with animals ever since. I could go on and on, but D is so thoughtful and eloquent that I'd rather have him share his passion with you directly. So without further ado, here's D. And now, the feature segment. Well, that's a good opportunity to segue when you're talking about the things that fascinated you. Because what I'd love to talk about now is we've covered how or the what of, of how you became a, a voice actor. What I love to ask people is why? What was it that inspired you to become a performer? Can, can you remember all the way back to second grade? Do you have a notion of what that was back then? Well, it's a thrill to be in front of an audience and to have an audience respond to make that kind of connection. I was a little nerd boy who, uh, good grades, good little kid, loved, uh, loved reading. And, and so I was kind of a weirdo because of that. You're, you're kind of a, you're kind of a weirdo when you're a little, little intellectual boy like that. And, um, and I think I probably used performing as a way of connecting with people. Mm -hmm. I wasn't good at sports. Um, I, I was not socially confident, mm -hmm. um, that I found much later in life. <laughs> and, um, and you can look at that as a disadvantage as, 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 you know, being looked down upon, being ostracized, maybe being bullied, uh, which I was all of those things at times, but I didn't really define myself by that. I navigated around it as best I could and, Part of my navigation, I believe, uh, to to compensate for that was performing. There's there's something about holding an audience and connecting with that through storytelling that I think is a really, it's an ancient sort of evolutionarily hardwired um, tendency that we have to create these stories that in that uh, that create the world that we inhabit as we as we burn through our, our limited uh, uh, lease <laughs> on, on our bio hardware. Mm -hmm. and, and so I think there's something kind of primal about it, and there's something uh, just satisfying about connecting with a crowd. I, I would argue that that is our evolutionary advantage over other creatures, is that we are the, we are the animal that tells stories. And because we tell stories, we can pass huge amounts of data from generation to generation. And for whatever reason, our brain remembers that data better when it's in a story than if it's just a list. Yes. Well, we, off, we, we sort of off-site the software uh, so that that continues the development. Yeah. That, that there's actually a, an external uh, kind of mega meme of software that mental software that's that's developing and progressing and changing, mm -hmm. independent of of the 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 momentary blip of of, of the human uh, body that that only exists for a certain amount of time. Yeah. But we can create this sort of this entity of, of our civilization or or social setting that's that is it's storytelling and it's you know we, we're able to use use language and memory to. Um, to house that and to further that. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's very true that the, the storytelling is absolutely a, it's a, it's, it's, it's a primal function for, for 
the social creatures that we are. Yeah, it allows us to exponentially increase our knowledge in comparison to other animals. But there was something interesting you were saying about being the nerdy kid who then got into performance because Lord knows I grew up as the nerdy kid and I was terrified of performing. It took quite a bit to finally convince me to do anything on a stage. Mm -hmm. Did you have that same fear or? Um, uh, well, yeah, I mean, a anybody who, who tries performing, it's terrifying and you will find, <laughs> well, if you, <laughs> uh, the, the, the fear is instructive. It, it's, um, if it's too much for you and you don't like it, then you won't do it. But um, but everyone gets stage fright. I certainly I certainly got stage fright. It wasn't paralyzing, but there are times I remember times where I just totally went up on my lines in a play, or if you just go out and do stand up. I mean, a stand up is terrifying. Yeah, it's, it's all you and it's all on you and it's yeah. all your fault if it's if it's <laughs> if it goes bad, which often it does. Yeah, and it feels like it's all on you, but you just got to go back for one more hit, one more comedy laugh hit. Of that one time when when they laughed, yeah, and and you 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 either crumple under that disapproval, or you soldier on and you find your way to surmount that and to overcome that as a performer. That's one of the great things about stand up, in particular, mm -hmm. is that it's really it's a really tough arena, but if you survive it and you push your way through it you can emerge with a great, unique sense of competence and, and confidence and, and this self-possession in a live improvisational setting mm -hmm. that can be very useful in yeah. many different ways, uh, not just as an actor, but also in life in general. Sure. And the same is true with improv, too. I mean, improv is just, it's just, it's just terrifying. You just don't know what the hell is happening. Yeah. And, it's, it's, and you, you learn... You learn to accept that that is okay. It's okay that this is terrifying and that you will, especially in improv, in a collaborative way, uh, typically, you collaboratively come together through it. And that's, that's part of the, the, the fun of the voluntary family of acting, of, of performing, is, yeah. is, to, is to grasp that, yeah. that, that you're going to be fine and, and it's okay to not know where this is going to go and in fact, it's actually a better story if you don't know where this is going to go. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of a profound realization in a way, I find. The, and because it's interesting because acting, usually, most of the time, is not a deadly profession. People don't usually risk life and limb with acting, but it hits the same survival instincts in us that feel like it's fight or flight. It feels like it's life or death. And it's interesting what you said, if you soldier on, because I don't think you'd ever tell anyone to force themselves to do acting stuff if, if it doesn't appeal to them. It's not like you, you know, put the thumbscrews on and said, I'm just going to keep acting. It was that there was something that was appealing about it. When you yeah. say that hit, right, the laugh, that yeah. there's, that, that you're, you're, skydiving is scary, but man, the rush. And, mm -hmm. and so, and, and, and it's, it's that fascination with that process. But it, it wasn't just the audience's approval, laughter, applause that kept you going as an actor, was it? There was, there was something else at some point, I'm sure, that started to fascinate you about the process, the content, or something, yeah? Well, I mean, I, 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 as I said, I'm not somebody who likes sports. Mm -hmm. I, I, think, I think there's a, there's a primal... Uh, I mean, we, we kind of have two tendencies, don't we? One is competitive, and the other is collaborative. And mm. these two aspects of human nature are uh, opposed to each other that we want to destroy the other 
or we want to work with and collaborate. And we have both of these tendencies genetically hardwired in. That's why Interesting. That, 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 is, that is part of the essence of how we have evolved as a, a, as a genetic replicating uh, biological machine. So, so, so it is, it is deeply, uh, ingrained within us to, to dominate and destroy the competition or the other. It is also at the same time, deeply ingrained within us to collaborate, to work together, to have group approval, to seek and display status within the group Mm -hmm. and to establish this. Mm -hmm. And so that's part of what's happening is, I mean, when you were standing elevated on a stage to be, um, uh, to, to get the approval and the connection of the tribe that is watching you, right. I mean, that, that, that's a primal, that's a very primal uh, payoff. Right. Um, but then, uh, and it's just fun. I mean, it, it's also, it, it's, it's I, I like it because it's collaborative, because it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's not a solitary, because ultimately I have tendencies that actually, that it's like, I like being in a cave. I, I loved as a high schooler living in the basement. Yeah, I love it when when the the sky is covered with clouds and it makes the world feel like a basement. I love the feeling of being confined in my little hole in a under a tree with my stuff, and I just there's something I like about that. Be bigger than gnome. Yeah, and so this my career in in a way. It, 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 you know, you can say, well, that's who you are. But in a way, it's also it's like, well, this is actually part of my problem is that I need to overcome this. I need to step out from under the tree and connect with the people, with my tribe, with with the humanity that's around me. Mm-hmm. And so, again, this is a way as a performer, as an actor to do this is that I I get that by the collaboration of creating things. Mm-hmm. Now, it's also... I just, I, I like the stories that we tell, and I think it's a great way, like you say, we, we are storytellers, and and I think, I, I mean, I fall down on the side of a, a, a mixture of stories that all coexist happily, that, that, are, that are different narrative, narratives, different mythologies that allow each other coexistence. Sort of like you have at a convention mm-hmm. where you have all these different narratives. You've got people like with these spears and these fake guns and these weapons of war and, and armor. And there's no threat of, of violence or annihilation or competition, really. Mm-hmm. It's the sweetest, nicest group of disparate narratives that you'll find on the planet mm-hmm. at a convention. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what human beings should be doing. I think this is the this is the path forward if we are to survive as a species, which man, the jury's out. <laughs> is that yep. if we're able to tolerate these disparate narratives, to welcome them, to learn from them, to allow them, and to let these enthusiasms thrive in a mutually beneficial way, mm-hmm. this is. This is the path forward that that offers optimism and hope to me. Mm-hmm. And so I like that, mm-hmm. that you can say that, um, oh, I'm working on this this show. It's just, it's a silly show. It's a, it's a fun show, but it's kind of silly. It's not Chekhov. It's not, you know, you're not like writing 
the rules for how society should work. You're not like involved in these really uh, super obviously substantial things. I'm not even a teacher. I'm not even a policeman. I'm not even a fireman. It's like those are people that are heroic that that should be paid. They, they should be paid way more. And I probably should be paid way less. <laughs> but, 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 but when I, when I occasionally go to a convention and you see the people that, that line up and that love these shows, that feed their lives with these shows, mm-hmm. that connect to their families, that connect to their fellow troops, mm-hmm. that, that connect uh, to uh, a healing moment in their life when, when things looked really dark, but they loved this character or they loved this show. Mm-hmm. And you realize that we're not making potato chips here. We're making actually the, the elements of the stories that people incorporate into their own stories, into their own lives as they house you know, their passage through life. And to be a part of that, to be a, a positive part of that, you can see it at a convention. You can see it when these people come up and you're so thrilled and so happy just to say hello. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they're beside themselves. Mm-hmm. They've come across the country or they've flown across the world and they're just, there's, there's tears in their eyes. They're shaking that they cannot believe that they're actually saying hello to, to you know, Huey the hamster or whatever the heck you just played right. in the game or the television show or the movie or whatever. Mm-hmm. That this means something to people. Yeah. And as such, I guess... I don't want to oversell the importance of it because I think there are actually <laughs> there are more heroic and noble professions, perhaps teaching, you know, uh, being one of them in particular. Mm-hmm. Healthcare. There's another one. Mm-hmm. But there's great value to being an artist. There's great there's great importance and and worth that being an artist and a commercial artist has. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think that that's something that most people think of or mm-hmm. that they really respect. But I do. Mm-hmm. And I think as you, as you train your sights on becoming a professional artist, the more you see that, the more you're going to respect yourself and the more you're going to respect the work that you make and the value that you bring to this world, which can seem so dark and so, so horrible with all the clickbait news that we're all subject to through social media and and um, all the websites that 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 now bring what I mean what used to be news, but it's really not news for the most part. That we bring a positive, uh, wonderful thing that is very human and very old, and makes the world better. Mm-hmm. And because of it, it's noble and it's a wonderful thing. So, what were the stories that captivated you when you were young? I mean, because you were doing Oliver and and, mm-hmm. and these things as a young child, but I have a feeling. I mean, I know you you love your sci-fi and your monsters. Tell me a little bit about what when you the the when you fell in love with certain aspects of storytelling or character. Well, I mean, that that would be that probably would start with Star Trek, the original Star Trek. Okay, to have these stories that are profound and interesting and had great implications, uh, that really captured me. Also, that vision of a world that works in the future, which I think is kind of a, it's almost an impossible vision to make now. A sort of utopian future. Yeah, where we kind of work it out. We kind of work out our mm-hmm. and are able to kind of move forward and and in a, in a benevolent, good way. Mm-hmm. Star Trek to me was kind of the end of that. Uh, then 
essentially, I think, and, and it's kind of the the end of, of a kind of optimism that you had in this country, I would say I'm going to attribute that probably to the Vietnam War, that um, suddenly it, it uh, that changed a lot, I think, after that. Mm. So in any case, I, I thought... I thought Star Trek was really awesome, and I loved those stories. I also really fell for uh, Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of uh, Kurt Vonnegut short stories I thought were really interesting. He, mm. he writes a lot of kind of borderline sci-fi stuff. Uh, uh, he's a wonderful writer, for, uh, Indiana guy as well. I started out in Indiana, uh, but started moved to Colorado when I was two. So that 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 meant a lot to me, and that really got me reading and... And um, and then, um, how old are you when you were getting exposed to Star Trek and Lord of the Rings? And uh, it's probably you know, 10, 11, 12, 13. Yeah, around there. Yeah, just as a kid. Yeah. Um. Then. And I hear you like Star Wars. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> oh, I don't mean to to take you in a different direction. No, no, that's that that, but that that's the direction I was going. Is that then? I mean, it's like. Movies were reinvented in the mid seventies. Mm-hmm. They really became it became something very different that a, a kid now could not. I mean, there's so many things about when I was a kid that I you can't describe to a kid now. But but there was no blockbuster movies that did not right. exist until um, Jaws and The Exorcist and Star Wars and that Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I mean. Then Indiana Jones and all the rest, and I mean things really opened up in the eighties. But I mean those things were profoundly um, fascinating and and nourishing to my to what I thought was awesome. And I just I didn't know how I didn't know how I could do that. I, I knew I wanted to. I thought it meant that I wanted to do special effects makeup because I just I loved special effects makeup. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, American Werewolf in London. David Cronenberg films, yeah. uh, you know Rick Baker, Rob Boutine, the, the Carpenter's The Thing is one of my favorite movies still, mm. and I I thought that's the way I would find that, but I didn't know how to become a, I, I it didn't it wasn't a living possibility whatsoever. I, I don't. But know. you were trying, right? You you made your little costumes and you dressed I, up as a Jawa, right? right? I I I would latex thing to my face. I I, I was a Jawa. My folks made me a Jawa costume. Uh, Halloween was always it's like, what am I gonna be? I got a little latex kit with with things I could I'd glue to my face and make myself horrible. Um, I I drew a like I, I tried drawing the 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 bar room scene from from A New Hope, Star Wars A New Hope, mm-hmm. just to draw these different creatures, but creatures that I invented. Yeah. And I thought maybe I could send it to George Lucas and I could make creatures, oh. but I didn't I I didn't know where to send it and I didn't I didn't know how to do that. Yeah. It's like I wanted to be creatures. The first movie I ever saw was Doctor Doolittle. Oh, the original. Okay. Yeah, a guy who talks to animals, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's a self-fulfilling prophecy right there. <laughs> but I mean, I can look back and say, well, clearly, I mean, I mean, this led to that, and this is me wanting really to be a. I didn't want to do stand-up; I wanted to do voice acting. If you look at my stand-up routine, it's like that guy should be a voice actor. He's not. I don't. I don't know that I like him as a stand-up, but yeah. he's like a closeted voice actor. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so I mean, I can, I can, I can pull these threads together, and and the interest in these stories, and this writing and creation of movies, you know, reading the making of Jaws and the making of Star Trek, it's like I, I, I read the making of 
Dune. Oh, that's a fun book. Man, they thought that was going to be the biggest hit. The Lynch that, Dune? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They were just like, this Oh, this is going to be so big. Dino De Laurentiis is producing. It's got all these stars. Yeah. It's really expensive. It's like a five-hour movie, and they just bailed on it and cut it to pieces. It's just very tragic yeah. and fascinating, but they were they were very enthusiastic about it when they made it. But I was very interested in how how are you making these monsters? How are you making these, you know, Planet of the Apes? I loved Planet of the Apes. How do you do that? Um, why, why did you love Planet of the Apes? Oh so God, much? I was that was actually my first movie love. I loved Planet of the Apes. I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. They do. I've got right there. Go Ape, right? That poster right there? Yes, for, for those who don't know, I'm actually, Dee has been gracious enough to let me come interview him in his recording booth, which is chock-a-block of all of these cool statues and posters, all your totems, all the things that mean so much to you. And on the wall is a 20th Century Fox poster and wants you to go ape. Yes, and it lists all the old Planet of the Apes movies. Uh, the new ones are excellent, too. I love the new series. Cool. But that... Um, um, but I just thought that was the coolest thing in the world, and I watched those over and over again. I would audio tape them when they had them on television right. and play it back, and I just worshipped those. I thought they were the coolest thing in the world. Can, can you articulate why you love them so much? Do you know how to put that Why words? did I love that so much? What was it about? I mean, it took me 20 to 30 years to articulate why I love animation so much, so I totally get it. But like, do, do you know what it was about Planet of the Apes? It was so fascinating to you? I... Um, I, I just, I, I, well, I mean, the, the first Planet of the Apes movie, which is the best one, is, you know, it's, it's written, or co-written at least, by Rod Serling, ah. who did um, all the Twilight Zone right. stories. And, and there, there's, there's something about the story that I found kind of profound and prophetic and interesting and not just an entertainment, but this is like... This is science fiction slash fantasy that's really about the world now, that's giving a deeper insight into the world. And that, I thought, was really awesome. That's what I loved about Star Trek, the, the television, the, the, the original Star Trek, was that, you know, these are stories about humanity, or this, this is a story about prejudice. This is one about homosexuality. This one is about um, um, uh, that power corrupts. I mean, the, there are these profound uh, insights that are housed within this this uh, kind of fantastical storytelling. And again, it's like, this is where I end up, is making these things. But I just didn't know how, how I could find my way there. <laughs> right. Because you were, it sounds like you're fascinated by the sort of ethical, uh, moral, uh, social issues and these... Fantasy worlds of Star Trek, Planet of the Apes, were metaphors where you could explore those issues in detail. You could tease out all the different possibilities. Yeah, it's like each was a little, uh, each was like a little equation. Yeah. That they shave the world down into a little equation and they're going to play it out in this scenario with these variables. Mm -hmm. But they kind of, it's like an explanation of what's, what lies beneath. It's, it's why I like philosophy. It's a it's little like platonic I, dialogue. I'm, I'm digging down to find the substance that's within, and that I find interesting. I, I yeah. like I like that. That's why I love reading. That's why I love. I mean, most all the stuff I do now is it's mostly all nonfiction these days. Sometimes I'll do a fictional thing, yeah. but for the most part, it's like I, I kind of want to know how the world works. I want to learn about it. I want to I want to hash it around. I want I want to talk about it. I want to 
explore it, you know? So you, you love Star Trek, Star Wars, Planet of the Apes, is, mm. and, but monster movies. How did the monster movie thing come about? Well, as I mean, I always loved, I just always loved those. Um, what, was I, your, what were some of your first monster movies? Uh, there was a horrible one called Reptilicus. <laughs> okay. It's just terrible. I remember asking sure. my mom, what's Reptilicus? What does that mean? She says, well, I think it's a reptile. That's like, okay. <laughs> terrible. Who's Latin? I it's don't a, know. <laughs> yeah, it's a giant, like, puppeted British, uh, you know, like a monster snake dragon thing that they dragged through the city set. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, and also, I think for a kid, monsters have power and and they're also often like like dinosaurs i really wanted to see dinosaurs i i i as a as a kid my my i i had i had two things that i would pray for to try to to try to test the existence of a deity <laughs> here it comes as a child one was i wanted i i said god if you just make me if you just make me jimmy from hr puff and stuff in my dreams <laughs> one night then I will take that as a sign that you truly exist. That's, and he never did. Oh. He never did. But in a way, maybe I am Jimmy now. Maybe right. I'm in, I'm on Living Island with my crazy friends. And maybe, maybe that is a signal that God exists. <laughs> <laughs> and the other was, is I want to see dinosaurs. I want to see a dinosaur walking around. Yeah. I want to see that with my eyes. I so yeah. wanted to see that. And um, and a monster movie, in a way, was being able to see what the what these giant creatures looked like. Yeah, I mean, it's when I saw when Jurassic Park first came out. I was living in Orlando. What was it like, ninety two or ninety one, something like that? Sure, that sounds about right. And uh, and that T Rex busted out of that fence, and I just stood up and yelled in the theater. Yeah. I just was so beside myself it's like that's what i've waited my entire life to see <laughs> and i totally believe it and i yeah. and you did it we we did it we made the dinosaurs yes so you know there's there's a deep-rooted excitement of that and does me. that come from your fascination with zoology and biology does it i come... thought i was going to be a paleontologist if you asked me in kindergarten what do you want to be when you grow up i would say a paleontologist right i mean my i had a textbook this was kindergarten. I had a textbook that had a picture of a caveman with a dinosaur in it. And I said, no, that, no. that's inaccurate. And my teacher helped me to write the publisher of that textbook a letter explaining that this is not right yeah. and they need, to, they need to fix that. Yeah. So I, I was, that kind of stuff was on my radar. Wow. It always was. I mean, you know, uh, you know, right on into philosophy, just that kind of stuff. It's like you don't mix dinosaurs with cavemen, and you know, we start getting into that. Well, let's have a little philosophical discussion about whatever you want. You know. So, but the but kaiju, Godzilla and monsters and things. Yeah, I love them. The, the, the fascination with them is not because of their scientific accuracy. Oh no! It's because of their but emotional. But he is like a dinosaur. He is. He is like a dinosaur. Yeah. But so he 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 has the trappings of dinosaur. But there's an emotional relationship with the creature, right? Each one of these creatures, whether it's Godzilla or Rodan or whoever, they they or Mothra, they have an an emotional agenda. They're a character, right? They have desires and wants. Did you? Did that appeal to you as well? Did you identify with these monsters in some way? Or? Well, yeah. I mean, ultimately, a monster movie is going to be about good or bad. It's about justice. Mm-hmm. And and um, um, and it's about the good guys winning. It's kind of like a superhero show. The 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 Godzilla movies ended up they're they're always kind of about there's a good guy monster and 
and Godzilla is the bad guy, or Godzilla is the good guy monster, and there's another bad guy monster that Godzilla has to has to defeat. Yeah. So it's just kind of a it's kind of a prize fight, or my ver- maybe it's my version of sports, where I I, I watch this sport battle <laughs> between the monsters between the monsters. <laughs> nice. And, and then you know the good guy wins, and then at the end he either he goes under the sea, but he'll come back. Or he gets shot off onto the to the space, but he'll come back. He'll come back. You know, it's like we're good. We'll do another one next year. Yeah. Um, but I think I think my main interest uh, in those was was to see something that was like a dinosaur. Like, it was like Rodan a dinosaur. was like a pterodactyl. Yeah. And man, I just I really wanted I really wanted there to be that place in South America where it's like you know the, the Umbatu that they call it the natives call it the Umbatu but we think it's a brontosaurus and we think it's actually alive I'm like yes, yes. we've got to find this this has to be true <laughs> I mean I, I'll believe it when I see it I'm yeah. not going to just make it up but I yeah. just really want to see that dinosaur wow so so that was a very um, my, my ability to specifically imagine that and to see yeah. it and to and to the, the movement of it that that's really key in what I bring to my performing is that I'm, I, I, I can see the creature. I can see the animal. I'm yeah. not just making the sound, but it's like I can play the movie out in my head. That's because exactly where I was going next, which is I didn't want to play armchair psychologist, but did all of this love of monsters and dinosaurs inform what you were doing when you were trying to create these voices? Is that Absolutely. part of where your fascination for Absolutely. those come from? Yeah, I mean, that's part of why I've got a page on my website, uh, my I want to be a voice actor.com site called the, the Fantastical Fundamentals. Yes. Where there's all these movies and TV shows as well as literature, et cetera, that... I mean, for me, I I play those in my mind all the time, and much of what we make, most of it's all derivative of those movies, those TV shows, those yeah. those uh, comedies, those dramedies, those, uh, uh, and 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 absolutely because I know those because they're part of my inner database that I can dial that up selectively yeah. with what I create vocally in the vocal performance. So, what I what I love about your journey, there's many things. One is that you always gave yourself permission to just follow what was fun, right? That you didn't, you didn't slavishly tie yourself to any well, recipe. I'm lucky that I didn't have parents that were breathing down my neck right. or, or, or have other externalities in my life that just said, we got to get with it. There's no time or we need to see something substantial. Otherwise, we're cutting you off. I never, I didn't have those constraints. My parents were supportive. They were happy when I told them I was going to be a a philosophy major, which I was a little, I was a little worried about. It's like, (laughs) what are they going to say? Because what the hell are you going to do with that? But they were fine with it. Yeah. Yeah. So I was very, very lucky. So you, because you've had such an eclectic journey and because you were following things that fascinated you not just doing what somebody else expected of you or told you, because fortunately you didn't have these pressures on you. Um, you you've created this uh, rich world and background, inner, inner life and knowledge of all these things. I know you, you've talked about, as a performer, um, having your, your, your toolbox or, or your trunk of stuff that you can sort of pull out and, yeah. and apply when, when you're acting. How, it's a terrarium. 
Yeah. I keep adding yes, to it. That's a great I, way. Yeah. I, I keep I keep watering it. I keep planting. I, mm. I, I pull things out, but I'm I'm constantly adding to it and planting things and putting things in it. Right. So and, and there's plenty of people that 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 I'm sure do this, right? I mean, we all have inner lives. And if we have a fascination with any kind of storytelling, whatever, we may build up this lexicon of knowledge and, and expertise about this thing. But then th- there's a there's another step to be taken, which is then to take that amazing terrarium and then which you enjoy for your own personal satisfaction and then apply it as a professional artist. How do you take that terrarium knowledge and apply it when you're in the booth in front of the microphone? The, the first thing, and this is a recent revelation, actually, since uh, since, a, since a health scare is that I just, I, I need to be, act, it's part of a professional uh, creative obligation is to fill the well, is to constantly be filling the well with source material. And that And when you means, say the well, you mean the well of your own creativity. Yes, yes. And so that means, um, that means following things that I love, that fill me, that charge my batteries, mm. you know, where uh, uh, photographing insects, uh, learning to play the bass, I'm starting a new a new thing I'm learning. I'm learning to play golf because my wife and my daughter want me to. And it's like, I, I don't know how to play golf. I really don't particularly want to play golf, but I'm going to try it. I'm going to try this totally new thing. Mm-hmm. Um, writing on my website, making my Halloween yard. Mm. Um, I really get into making my Halloween yard. I'm a Christmas yard too, but especially my Halloween yard. Oh, yeah. But I, I'm allowing myself to... to, to to follow and push for these avenues of 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 learning and of creating, so that um, I'm, I can feed myself, so I can I can feed this terrarium, this this creative well within me, mm-hmm. to um, to have more to bring to my life and and to my work. D is making an incredibly important point here. If you want to not only be a successful actor, but an artistically satisfied one as well. It is vital to nurture your own creativity in whatever way you can. Too often, inexperienced actors think their job is to become a willing and passive instrument in the hands of a director or some other authority figure. These actors do their best to give the directors and producers what they want without thinking about the broader scope of the project. This passive acting mindset limits you when you're recording in the booth. It means that you're constantly looking to others for validation or approval rather than actively trying to solve character and story challenges while engaging with your colleagues in a more collaborative fashion. All the best directors and producers are looking for creative people who have great problem-solving abilities and are willing to bring their own unique and special skills to a project. If you come to a session as an empty vessel, passively waiting for a director or producer to tell you what they want, you will exhaust them. Instead, you should come to a session inspired and ready to contribute actively. It's so much more enjoyable to collaborate with someone who is enthusiastic and eager. Ideally, artistic ideas should be bubbling out of you. In order to ensure that your wellspring of inspiration doesn't run dry, it's vital that you nurture your creativity by pursuing things that invigorate you. You may find that exercise or a physical discipline like yoga or martial arts helps keep your energy flowing. You may be fascinated by photography, arts and crafts, or drawing. You may engage in philosophical or educational pursuits that you find intellectually nourishing. Whatever your interests might be, they are what make you special, 
and can help you bring something unique and different to your performances. If you're curious about Dee's creative projects outside of voice acting, you can check out his macro photography at dbakerphotography.com. There, you can see his fascinating close-up images of flowers and insects. Dee also has a passion for decorating his yard for Halloween. You can see his spooky creations at creepyyard.com. I myself have my own pursuits. Some of my listeners may be aware of my passion for mythological storytelling, which I share at my website, mythologyandmeaning.com. It's not widely known, but I also have a love for model trains, and I enjoy putting together different train sets, which allows me to build miniature worlds to enjoy and explore. I encourage you to find your own hobbies and nurture your own creative terrarium, as Dee suggests. Doing so can yield huge dividends in your acting as it becomes more specific to you. Next time, in the third and final part of our interview, Dee and I talk more about how he takes all the rich elements that make up his creative terrarium and applies them to his artistry. Then, he shares with me his concept of a ladder of ability and how you can use it to measure your own progress as an artist. I also ask him what advice he has for the aspiring voice actor. You may already be aware, but Dee has an amazing website fully dedicated to this subject. The web address for it is IWantToBeAVoiceActor.com. We also talk about what inspired him to build the website and what he feels is some of the most important information he has to offer there. It's going to be a great final segment, and you won't want to miss it. Until next time, I encourage you to nurture your own creativity, and I wish you all the best in your voice acting endeavors. Take care. You've been listening to the Voice Acting Mastery Podcast with Crispin Freeman. To get your free report revealing the five most common mistakes to avoid in voice acting, point your web browser to www.freevoiceactinggift.com. Thanks for listening.